the first year I went solo in 2014, there was like a, a pack of it. It was me, Zeb, Jack, and Fletcher. And four of us, the photo of us, like, like we run into each other mid-channel. I remember just like, everyone's on this whole thing, like, oh, you get out in the channel, and it's like, it's beautiful, there's no one else around. And there's all these, you know, you're there by yourself, it's just you and your boat, it's like this, like, a magical experience and I'm sitting there like man I just got hit by three guys I'm paddling rubbing shoulders with people we're in the middle of nowhere I'm like what is this that's Lockie Lansdowne legend in the prone paddling world telling his story from his first Molokai to Oahu paddleboard race and you're listening to this Ocean Life podcast with me Josh Peterson that's right that's right and that's where you grew up right I mean you're from Noosa is that is that I right born in like farmland Victoria and didn't actually well mm. didn't spend any time in the ocean till I was 10 or 11 so I, I was like for most of the guys here like um our nippers our junior guards like start at under sixes so to start at you know 10 or 11 and never really been in the water it's, it's here it's a late start so I know the first couple years I didn't really do much or do well at anything, which is kind of funny. Um, I didn't race till I was maybe like 13. So, yeah, kind of like a, a weird start, but sort of got there. <laughs> yeah, he sure did, man. So you started about 10-ish and then, yeah, because nippers is such a big thing there, you know. And so, I mean – you, you kind of got in the water and you were 10, you started doing nippers, but then did you pick up surfing and kind of all things ocean all at once? Yeah. Um, the nippers program is really good. And I guess coming from like a family that doesn't spend time in the ocean, like the only ocean time we had was at nippers. Like that was it, you know, that's, but we went, mum and dad like forced us to go to nippers. It was like, we're going to, you know, we've moved to this nice place. We're not going to, you know, go to the beach I guess super often but when we do go we want you to know surf skills so you go to nippers join the program it's you know you learn where a rip is how to be safe and mm -hmm. that kind of all sort of progress I didn't actually start surfing like, I didn't stand on a board until I was 19 really oh wow yeah so I just did all through like um the surf life saving program and race and I always surfed a paddleboard that's sort of why I surf a paddleboard yeah. so much it's still it's just way more comfortable for me. Like I still enjoy standing on my feet, but it's, it's not a pretty sight. It's, uh, <laughs> it's it's not very nice. So I just, I always find myself going back to um, what's most comfortable for me, I guess. Or sometimes I get really frustrated because I'd be standing on a surfboard and I look at a section and go like, wow, I could have done a really nice cutback on the paddleboard there, but I just can't. <laughs> two man my way through the section at the moment. So yeah. So, ongoing battle with myself on that one <laughs> oh yeah man i bet but it's interesting like what you know your story of starting late is kind of different than what i expected because i say that because starting at 13 you said your first kind of you know competitive paddleboard race is 13 i figured it would be at six because you've taken that since 13 and parlayed that into like a, an incredible competitive paddleboarding career which we'll we'll kind of get into you know so with nippers and when did you kind of at some point you started like i'm guessing winning races or, or placing very high and you got the bug like you started really yeah. liking paddling so when did that how did that all happen for well, you 
the first race I ever did, I remember it was um, it was just like a local carnival, like the local three neighboring clubs, Sunshine, Noosa, and Pridgen. We have a like a three way carnival each year. It's more like it's just like a, a bit bigger club champs, really, just with all the local kids. Because I mean, the surf clubs are within a couple miles of each other, so we all like go to school together. It's all basically the same kids. We just go to different clubs, and I actually didn't finish the race. I got rescued. Um, so oh, whoa. That was the start to my racing career, uh, we did an, an Ironman race and it, was <laughs> a, um, it was a board swim. And by the time that I'd finished the board leg, everyone had finished the race and I went out to the swim by myself and got picked up by the rescue boat. So that was my first ever like start to racing. And it wasn't really, I think I made maybe i think under 14 i made the state final which was sort of you know just it's a pretty big thing for the kids like yeah looking back at it now it's not much but i mean at the time it was like oh i was huge so that was kind of my first time i did sort of well and it's like okay yeah i just want to keep racing and i did pretty well i guess in the you know the the club sort of scene through 17s to 19s i got a bunch of podiums more in like the the early preseason, you know, distance races. And um, that's kind of, you know, I looked at that and like, okay, I enjoy the distance stuff more than I enjoy the sprint. So I kind of wanted to look for other races and yeah, it's kind of progressed on from there to a yeah. extreme. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. To, to, to world travel for power yeah. racing. <laughs> yeah, man, that's cool. So you kind of just kept going. It wasn't like you were like, some it's because interesting. I asked all this because a lot of a lot of guys I talked to who are like top world class athletes like you were like dominators from the start. You know, they're, oh, we won this and he won that as a kid and all that stuff. And you just kind of found it late. You're a strong contender, you know, but it's not like you were like super dominant guy from the start. But you've just been consistent all the way on. So then, into your late teens, when did you kind of start going? You know, I want to go like take this further, further as in like I don't know. <laughs> Catalina or, you know, coming, expanding beyond Australia. I mean, when did, when did that kind of hit you? You want to kind of expand out? Yeah. Um, like the, I just know there's a pinpoint, like exact moment when, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but Wes Berg made a movie called hmm. uh, One Touch hmm. and it had Wes and Zeb and it's basically, and uh, Dean Brady actually, professional surfer. But um, Wes was training and coaching, and basically it's just the three of them, they go over to Molokai, do race Molokai. That was just, the, you know, shows all the training side. And, you know, Dean Brady had never been on a paddleboard in his life before, mm -hmm. and, you know, a couple months later did Molokai. So that was kind of crazy. But in part of the movie, it's got one of my good friends, Lincoln Hughes. So I was yeah. training with him, seeing him every day, and it was like, oh, he's – you know, I'm in this movie. You want to come down and watch it? And went down and watched the movie. I just like, I sort of knew Molokai existed. Didn't really sort of know what was going on. Went and watched the movie. And then I was like, walked out of the cinema. Like, okay, that's what I'm doing. That uh, from now on today is like every single thing I do is going towards that race. And I think I would have been, would have been 16. I went down and sat down with my coach um, at the time, Darren Mercer, Geordie's dad. Oh, yeah. Um, and just said, okay, right now we're going to write out like a three year program 
to get me to be competitive in that race. So that was um, the first year we did some of like the local long distance races here. And it was like not many people doing them, but we just kind of raced around. Um, did one up at Hamilton Island on the Great Barrier Reef, which is really cool. Oh, that, that sounds the, rad. The first ever proper, I think it might have been, I think it was like a two-hour race. So it wasn't massive, but then that was my first year. The second year I went off and I did a team at Molokai with Kurt Lager and I was 17. And then the next year I raced solo. So it was like the three-year kind of step up to work my way into um, racing. And it was uh, Lincoln's dad, Jeff, that always got me and said, like, you're too small. You've got to race stock, not unlimited. Because I was always super scrawny. Like, I look back at photos, like, I don't even know how I even paddled well. <laughs> so small and skinny. It's like, if you go to Molokai right now, racing unlimited, you're going to have a bad experience. You need to race stock. And that's sort of where it's kind of gone from that I've, stayed in stock i'm not really big guy so um yeah still there yeah dude that's rad i mean like thinking about your that story you tell there's so many cool parts that most exceptionally is like the influences you had around you not only did you have a friend of lincoln dues who's beyond a world-class athlete like i was winning like <laughs> mm -hmm. national stuff as a grom and then prone stud scp guy then you had jordan mercer's dad i think he was like a at, wasn't he like an Olympic guy or something too? Like you had these guys like helping you out, man. So, yeah. and then a three year plan, you know, like most people I know are like, fuck, I'm just going to go do it. And they kind of train, they go over to Molokai and just get their ass handed to them. Like what happened to me in my first year? I'm like, I was going to go and had no idea, but you had this rad support system and process to get yourself there, man. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I think the biggest part of that was I was like super young and they're like, like I wanted to go do like, stock molokai that year i was like i'm going now they're like no nah, you're gonna go there you're gonna get your butt mm. kicked you're gonna have a bad time you're never gonna go back to the race like go over do it properly and like i wasn't super keen on doing the whole teams thing i didn't really want to do it at the time i just kind of wanted to like nah like i'm good enough like i'm going and the team thing is one of the best things that ever happened to me because mm. over there i had the local guy kurt lager absolute legend and got absolute like friend for life and you know resources that he's helped me out with and connected me with yeah. people and i stay with him every single year that i go over there so wow. it's seven years later so looking back at it team one of the best things they ever did yeah and plus you got a chance to see the water you know and which is a big part is you start you understand how the water works there you know and with the on the team you could you get you get it you feel it because you're digging you're running catching bump you're missing bump you're getting knocked off but then you actually get out of the boat or out of off the water looking and watching somebody else and so it's a really nice like entry point to really understand the water which is critical the guys who play well like you have like you you understand to a pretty good point how the water moves out there yeah like um being able to like like remove yourself from the race and sit on the boat and watch what's going on as it's happening was I really recommend that to anyone who wants to go paddle the channel like to be able to just sit there and observe the race not from the tunnel vision that's you on the front of your board 
it helps like major, major difference in you know, things and just the way that you look at things and the way you operate around. So yeah, I definitely recommend doing teams to anyone that's going over first go. Yeah. Oh man, for sure. So you're 19, you go over there for your first time to, to Molokai and you do a team relay. Now at that same time, is that when you got, I mean, I'm guessing you're getting really serious about competitive, you know, racing in general. Are you doing other things like around Australia? Like you, you mentioned some races, but you know, are, are there, is, did you start to do any of the national team stuff like the ISA stuff around that time too? Um, that wasn't until a year after, but I was still doing up until I basically kept like club racing here, like the surf life mm -hmm. until I think 2015. I don't know. It's kind of got like, um, pushed out of it sort of due to politics and it was just didn't yep. really want to do it anymore. It wasn't really fun. wasn't sort of what I wanted mm -hmm. to do at that point. But, um, yeah, after that we kind of did, there's a couple races. I mean, there was like only three or four prone guys in them at the time, but they ended yeah. up being the qualifying races for ISA. And, um, in 2014, I think me and Reese Burrows were pretty damn close and he just got it. So he got sent off to, I think it was Nicaragua at the time. Mm -hmm. Said that right. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, it was pretty close races and then I got second in the race and then they sent someone else off as a wild card. So I don't really know how you figure that out, but, um, yeah. <laughs> um, for the second off. <laughs> um, but then the year after we had the qualifying race and, um, Reese and I actually had a sprint at the beach hmm. and I, I don't know. I, they said I won. So I, I take it, I guess. <laughs> Um, but it was that close. I couldn't have picked it. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, at the time, Reese and I were, while well, we worked together, we trained together out of the same club under Darren and we we're racing against each other for like the same spot. So it's getting kind of gnarly all around that whole thing. So yeah, yeah. I bet man. <laughs> <laughs> so okay so about the same time you start doing like and we'll come back to catalina classic here in california so about the same time because i know you've done it like it looks like five plus years so around that 2015 time frame yeah. you start making trips out here to do stuff but staying on on molokai just for now so you jump into molokai you start competing and then in 2019 it was kind of like the big dance for you you came in you were what i've read uh leading that race against Stuart mclaughlin who's just an absolute beast uh and who took you at the end but you still had a 445 which beat the previous world record so yeah. to go take take us through that i mean you're you're i mean what's it like to have a guy like Stuart right behind you you know and then to battle that guy what was Not that like if you want to be in that way. <laughs> that's what i figured <laughs> um yeah, Stu's a lot bigger than me. I always sort of knew that I needed to have a lead on him going into the flat water. I, every year he puts like a, you know, we're pretty close at Portwalk. I know I sort of need a, a good couple hundred meters on him and, um, at Portwalk to sort of beat him to the finish because he's just that much quicker than me in the flat. So I um, guess I just didn't really have big enough gap there. <laughs> but um <laughs> made it interesting for everyone watching. Really hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I know. I saw that I cramped up when it was coming through the pillars. I just like uh, I can't do oh. it. I had to back it off. But um, Dude. yeah, that was a good one. I mean, there's been some interesting races there. Like the first one we had, like the first year I went solo, 2014. There was like a the pack of it, it was as me, Zeb, Jack, and Fletcher, and four of us. Oh, the wow. total of us, like like we run into each other mid channel. I remember just like everyone's on this whole thing like oh you get out in the channel and it's like it's beautiful there's no one else around and <laughs> there's all these you know you're there by yourself it's just you and your boat it's like this like magical experience and i'm sitting there like man i just got hit by three guys i'm oh. rubbing shoulders with people we're in the middle of nowhere i'm like what is this <laughs> like wow that's heavy duty yeah you, you're not you're not going zen and just enjoying really anything you're like no. you're in full stress mode because you got these freaking gnarly guys all around you it was chaos and like um you weren't getting bottle drops when you wanted you got bottle drops when your boat could yeah. get in there because there's four boats <laughs> sitting there like it was like it was super crazy it was like every single boat's driving around trying to take a turn to get to their paddler and then oh that was a nightmare i just remember jack got um like a double up runner and got like 200 oh. meters like just got like somehow linked a second one down and you know just got that gap and that was pretty much what it stayed to the finish um wow zeb went i think zeb went offline he went a bit further i think maybe north maybe and i can't really remember but he tried to do something like chance it, you know, like, okay, I'm not going to catch up to Jack. If I go a different one, I might beat him. Uh -huh. Didn't really work out. And I think Fletcher pulled out with a shoulder injury, like a, maybe half a mile before Portlock. So that was like, that was a chaos entry. And then Dude. the next year, 2015 was the flat year. That was, right. was just 35 degrees. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's just pure pure suffering <laughs> and flat line glass off and that was just like that was one of the worst days i've ever had in a paddleboard oh yes i finished that one hour and a half behind the leader oh wow yeah so i had a bit of a shocker that day but um Dude. yeah the rest of them kind of just blending together now but, yeah um, i bet man i bet what about like uh and this I always trip out on like like again that kind of not to belabor Stuart, but the guy who just stays on his stomach the whole time and versus most normal people who jump to their knees. I mean, have you ever considered just being on your stomach <laughs> like he does? Yeah, I've tried and I hate it. <laughs> Dude, I can't even, it's like, that's like a torture. Oh. I saw his board for the first time. Oh. It looked like a medieval torture device. It's like, wait, 32 miles on that flat hard thing with just wax and nothing else. I mean, dude, I wouldn't even I do that for like a thousand bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, he's running like pretty narrow boards as well. Like looking at his board, I started to try and trim mine down as well. So, I mean, he's definitely, um, uh, he's changed the sport. I mean, in the way we sort of look at things and I guess the mm -hmm. way people race over there now as well. So yeah, you got to give him credit for that. And, um, definitely, definitely, man. So you had a killer battle second to him in 2019. So congrats on that. Cause that's, I mean, just your time alone and just battling is that's an insane one. Now, as we mentioned, like 
during your run Molokai for the last five-ish years, you're also coming here to California to do another legendary race, Catalina Classic, and you had a lot of uh, success there too in 2019. Your second, 2018, you won overall and on uh, on the unlimited on that race. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I don't really know what. Well, actually, you know, thinking back to it, it was like it came down. I think um, I'd won stock three times and Max had won unlimited three times. And mm. I remember there was like, oh, like 15 or 20 people. Like, oh, when are you going to go race Max? When are you going to go race Max? So I was just like, okay, I'm doing it. And I guess I got kind of lucky that first year in the unlimited. But um, he definitely got me the next year. <laughs> he got me good as well (laughs) (laughs) so talk about that i mean here you've spent years on the stock board which you know for folks listening might not know it's like a 12 footer and an unlimited is at least over 16 and yours might have been like 18 or something so it's a different it's a not different sport on the those different boards but it is very different like it's differently taxing in your body because those bigger boards are longer. They take more energy. There's more glide. It's just a kind of a different deal. So how was it for you having so much time on the, the 12 foot or the stock board and then jump into an unlimited? I was, I was kind of, I guess you could say scared to sort of race it. I didn't really know I hadn't trained on it. I hadn't used one before. Like I prior to paddling that first year, I'd maybe use an unlimited three times in my life. I've paddled less, oh, wow. less than two miles on them. And I just like, I'm 99% sure I'm going to get to the R10 and my shoulder's going to blow up. I'm just going to lose it. <laughs> I, that was just like, I just knew it was coming. I was like freaking out, like sort of ended up going all right. I mean, another mile in that race and Pat would have beat me for sure. Right, he was reeling me down like an absolute madman. But um, yeah, it was kind of interesting, I guess. Like I always, yeah, paddled stock, and I just I went to Joe and I said, look, I just want something like the closest you can get an unlimited to a stock board. Like that's what I want. I want like <laughs> I want it narrow. I want it super lightweight, and I want it like as small as I can get it and still be competitive. So basically. I think I got like a 17.3, like mm. super lightweight, like crazy. Like I remember being in the factory like a week or two before and like picking up like the carbon before it was um, like painted and had the pads on it and you could just lift it with one hand. Wow. Crazy, crazy lightweight. So um, I think that's sort of the only thing that really saved me on that day was the fact that like yeah. Joe's craftsmanship, Joe, Charlie, Romeo, all the guys in the, the Barkboards factory. I, yeah, that was all down to them because that was not far off the stock board I'd been racing at the time. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I got really lucky with that one as well. So Yeah, man, that's killer. It's great to have that kind of support, like with the Barks, kind of helping you with the right equipment, you know. Uh, and so what did you end up doing with that board? Is it still down at his shop? Does Jack paddle it or um, you know, what happened to that thing? It's actually ended up being, so do you know that the gray unlimited that Jack has? I think he's had I it think so. Years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically the boards that I had, were like cut off the same file as Jack. So they're just like sister boards to the two that I had made up and Joe finishes the race and puts them up for sale. So anyone who buys yeah. them 
Just cool. get absolute rocket ships and boards. So somebody's paddling it right now. <laughs> yeah, you gotta look out for it. It's in Miami Dolphins colors. So <laughs> that's rad. <laughs> I was coming out on the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's rad, man. So talk about that. I mean, coming out to California, you, know, so you have this connection with Hawaii. And that's one of the things about paddleboarding, uh, you know, in general, but also the prone community that I really enjoy looking back after, you know, been involved for years is that community aspect where it's like you do a few Molokai's and you've got suddenly you, you see people, you might not know them personally or interact with them, but when you see them out there, it's very familiar. It's like a kind of a family, um, you know, kind of gathering and the same thing when you come to Catalina and California. So, I mean, talk about that. Like you live in Australia, you get to go to these other two places in the world and kind of reconnect with other, you know, prone guys. I mean, talk about, you know, if, if that's special for you and how. Yeah. Like the Cali prone scenes, the only reason that I've been able to do everything that I've done, like honestly, like there is no other possible way that I could have, like um done any of the trips that i've done any anything any traveling any like because basically i when i travel it's like on a budget like mm -hmm. like couch surf everything like that's just sort of the way i get around because it as opposed to just doing molokai it means i get to go do two months you know it's kind of like saves it the budget sort of thing and allows me to do catalina and molokai but Every single time, every place I've been to, someone's always offered up a bed, especially like uh, mm -hmm. DJ O'Brien and mm -hmm. like Duke and like everyone that's just like, they've saved my butt, driving me around everywhere. Like, <laughs> phenomenal. Just that, you know, everyone that's in the community is so nice and helps out. It's just, yeah, seriously, the only way that I could have ever done, you know, if it wasn't for people like that. I would have only done quarter the amount of races that I've managed to do. So I can only say thanks, you know, so many times and it's just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah. Um, yeah. I've never seen anything else in any other sporting community. that's like that, you know, like goes out of their way to like go and pick you up from the airport or, you know, yeah. loan you a board or it's, yeah, it's just crazy. And you know, Hawaii is very similar, but, Mm -hmm. Cali's definitely a standout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it is really special, no doubt. You could not lending me a board. <laughs> yeah, it's right, man. You came in bar to board here. Yeah, for sure. And it was like not even a question. Duke's like, "Hey, Lockie's here. We're gonna take some shots at land." I'm like, "Dude, take your pick." You know. So, yeah, that is one really special thing about the whole sport. You know, is that you might not, you might not paddle or see somebody for five years, but you see somebody wearing a shirt from a race you did or vice versa. And it's like, you suddenly have something to talk about, you know, it's yeah. pretty rad. Yeah. So Hawaii, Molokai, California, Catalina. And then the other big story I want to dive into is China, another <laughs> paddleboard destination. Not just kidding. So, <laughs> oh man. So you had a rad run on the ISA World Paddleboard Championship on Team Australia a couple of years ago. So, so first is talk about like I think, going to China, dude. Like give me the, give us the lay of the land where you guys were and just that whole experience from just the pure was, cultural part. Oh, that trip was so bad in so many ways. It was just like, it was just a nightmare. It took me six months to get my board back. 
<laughs> and no way. And it was trashed and my board bag had been cut open with a knife and all my clothes and Bluetooth speaker, everything stolen out of it. Oh, dude. They tried to charge me, I think, uh, 1,600 US for it. Uh, we got the we got the receipt, and it cost the business in China four hundred dollars, and they char- tried to charge us for oh sorry, one thousand. Oh, dude, so yeah. the starting point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, flying with the board there was just chaos. They almost didn't let it on the plane, so I almost turned up without a board to start with. Um, once we got there, it's super strange. It's like um. It's, it's just little things like they they don't just queue up. It's just like you just you go to the supermarket, you're in at the counter. Like you, no, they don't line line up patiently. It's just like there's all these like just weird cultural differences that were kind of you know interesting. And but um the waves there were awesome. Yeah, that's what I heard. On point break, we got we got it really lucky, and um the whole racing thing was just like super fun like you know we had a good crew over there between you know team australia and um you know usa even like i get on quite well with um kyle and that from brazil so yeah isa is always a fun one but that was just like once we were there it's fine but the logistics to get in and out were just <laughs> it was almost not worth it it was just out of control <laughs> Dude, I was I was thinking that when I heard it was in China, I've only been there once and it was just me in a suitcase. And I was like, holy shit, how are all these people going to get paddle boards inside and out of there? You know, uh, you guys pulled it off. But then there too, what, what I thought was really cool about it. And I, I mean, maybe ISA always does this, but it was televised, you know, and here in the States, we were watching, you know, it was like late, really kind of 10 p.m. kind of late night but we were like watching because it was like wow wait wait prone paddle racing is televised you know so we were watching and uh it was just cool man so i want to take us through a couple of the races because you you won the tech event there's like for paddle boarding there's like the distance and the tech event right so first talk about the tech event because it looked like a gnarly finish so take us through that through that whole race another one i just got lucky hunter should have won that race (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you're given the opportunity, I guess you kind of got to go and you can't really feel too guilty afterwards. But um, <laughs> oh, um, I wasn't maybe as fit as I should have been. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> too much drinking beer at home before I left. The time <laughs> and um, the tech race is really cool. It's like a, a zigzag circuit and um, we're going in and out of the shore break and then paddling over to the left-hand point break and then you surf down the left-hand point break um, back into the shore break and then you do another couple laps. So it's like there's so many uh, so many ways that you can make mistakes. I think it's the best way to put it. Um, and I think basically races like that, everyone can move it a very similar pace you know the it's kind of the same um but it just comes down to who makes less mistakes and um i i guess um coming into the finish line i was maybe 20 30 meters behind and there was a really big rip current to the left hand side of the finish line and then the sandbar to the right and um i took a gamble and i went to the right and hunter went to the shortest line possible which was closer to the rip and 
it just happened so be that a wave broke on the shore break and I paddled past him in the last three meters of the race. So I, I mean, if a wave, if it was a flat spot in the set, Hunter would have beat me by 30 meters. Yeah. It was just like a kind of, I had to gamble and I was in a position where I was like, okay, if I paddle to this side, I'm not going to lose a position, but I might gain a position. So, um, yeah, you kind of got to weigh all those, um, the little things up in your head as you're kind of trying to make decisions at maximum heart rate. So it makes it interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's a rad like video finish, like you sprinting up and then basically like fell right on the beach. Like like you gave it, you, know, you oh. could tell you, you, you left it all out there, you know, that was cool. If you met some of the other team members, they're scary. When they yell at you, you go really far. <laughs> Listen to um, Shaq and Harry and Tareen, they're yelling at you. You, you go. Yeah. <laughs> you go. <laughs> no choice. I the finish line as well as I crossed over the line. I don't know if you can really see that, but I love my own pants as they come off me. <laughs> <laughs> that whole course looked really fun. You know, I mean, like, you know, sometimes you don't really call pro and powder boarding fun. I mean, you can yeah. sometimes, sometimes it's just kind of work, but especially long distance races, but that looked cool, man. That's like you're zigzagging. You got a buoy turn. There's some strategy to that. You got to yeah. ride some waves or strategy to that. So I thought that was pretty neat how it looked like a pretty fun race, you know, all in all. Yeah. The ISA ones are always fun. The one um, I've done, I think four now, Mexico, Fiji, Denmark, and China. So they're all being like, I think it's um, AV that sets up the courses, but they're all mm. really like, they're just fun to paddle courses, especially the tech. Um, in Fiji, we used cloud break as part of the race course. Oh, insane. So, I mean, it's not really when you think, oh, I'm going to go to cloud break. You don't really think, yeah, I'm going to be the guy that paddles out there on a 12 foot race board. But um, yep, it was there. It was fun. So um, we got it kind of small on the day and i ended up sort of getting washed over the reef anyways but um <laughs> yeah it was good and denmark was just crazy um we raced inside the canals in the copenhagen there and then drove up six hours up north and then raced on the like the beaches up super far north which is really really cool so um yeah i say is always a good one go to strange places like it's places I'd never even consider going to for a holiday. So that's why I like it so much. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool, man. To have that opportunity. So, yeah. Yeah. So then for in the China, then you also, you got second place in the distance again, like you mentioned to Hunter Fluger, who he was kind of on a tear. Um, yeah. and that looked just long and kind of a slog. It's not long in terms of like distance. I think it was what 12 miles, which, is long, but not long, long. It's not Molokai or Catalina long, but the conditions are gnarly, right? I mean, after watching that race and then talking to, you know, from the U.S. and from Santa Cruz, Kylan Winter, who was, you know, um, who competed in the female version or the female race, it was just gnarly, like humidity and everything. So it looked like it was still yeah. a, a tough slog. Yeah, and I lost my drink bottle on the start line. When I did my run start, it fell off the side, so... That definitely didn't help, and yeah, super yeah. hot. And we had like a, a downwind section, which was really cool. So it was like everyone's sort of like jostling for position, and then trying to like make or break the pack on the downwind bit. So that was um, makes it interesting when you're on circuit racing because you always got 
good sections and bad sections. So it's deciding when to, it's, it's probably closer to like cycling where it's like you're looking at pack position, drafting, trying to like slingshot on people to try and break away by yourself. Or, but if you go too early, you get run down. So it's all, yeah, all, all crazy stuff in there. I think that's like the most fun type of racing. Like it's like, um, like, you're playing mind games with everyone the whole time you're there. You're not just paddling like flat line and just racing straight, you know, you're doing sprints and all yeah. different types of things in there. So yeah. Yeah. I think that's more so flat slog. Right. Right, man. No. And that's cool about that course. It's not like from point A to point B it's like there's loops, you know, so you get chances to battle at the buoy and edge somebody out, et cetera. So talk about like, I guess your your uh, nah, maybe not philosophy of competitive you know board racing, but like, what's kind of your tactic? You know, is it like, all right, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go three quarters and power, wait for the end. Am I gonna like just screw with people? Like, kind of how do you how do you set up to do these races? And when you're in it, like, how do you can maintain that kind of mental focus from start to finish? Yeah, like the tech races and those ISA races, I'm definitely the guy that just likes to screw with people yep that's um, <laughs> um i don't know i i sort of try to do like a bit of research on the people who i'm racing against like um you know i know certain people race a certain way and that's how they stick so i try to figure out what they're going to do and then use it against them that's sort of my my race plan is to work off other people's race plan so I don't know, if, for instance, like um, Reese Burrows used to always do a massive sprint at the start. He likes leading. He likes being in front. He likes having that lead at the start and everyone sort of works back to him to a sort of close finish. So I knew that if I sprint at the start beside him, that was him out of the race. Like, you know, just basic stuff like that. Hunter always yeah. likes um, wash riding and then tries to like out – basically turns it to a fitness race, you know. He'll sit there and then wait till you get tired and then try and out-paddle you. Like, won't won't be a sprint, but just up the tempo enough that it just hurts too much. So, um, yeah, everyone's sort of got their own little, I guess, way that they race, and I try to just use that against them, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, that's cool, man. I haven't uh, heard... I mean, I've talked to a bunch of people. I've, you know, we have a lot of mutual friends who've done competitive, competitive paddle racing. And usually it's like, everybody's got their own tactic for how they're going to do their own race. Like, you know, like whatever that is, but it's interesting to hear you talk about preparing against, to understand who you're going to paddle against and prepare, understand their game, you know, so you can combat that. I think that's really cool, man. But it's interesting because you're such a, like, if I looked at your Instagram right now, it's like you have this super casual laid back style in general, but he, but it's, it sounds like when you're in race mode, that kind of comes off and it's like, it's on kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I've probably got some kind of undiagnosed bipolar where I can just <laughs> switch and just like, okay, it, it's on. Like, you know, it's just like anyone that comes near me, get out of the way. Like it's, and then it's just, okay, back to go back to surfing at home. It's kind of fun. Like, yeah, I guess. I mean, same thing with training, I, I guess. I can sort of switch it on. Like, I get, like, super, like, over-competitive to, like, if I know that I'm not going to be competitive at something, I have to, like, force myself to not race so I don't get angry. Like, 
um, like the fitness test at work, I know that there's guys that are a lot quicker than me. So if I start racing, I have to race. So I, I make sure that on the start line, I wait there for 20 seconds. So I'm not racing. So then I can't get angry when I lose. <laughs> Just stuff like that. I mean, so yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Like, yeah, I, I just have to, if I'm out outside of the competition, I won't get angry. So <laughs> right, right. Dude, that's classic, man. No, but, but good for you. And, you know, congratulations as well for like this, like, I mean, the, the Molokai, all the ISAs, Catalina, like you've been around, you're like a figure of prone paddling. So for this year, I mean, in, in 2020, were you gearing up to do another circuit of like Catalina and Molokai, but with, you know, full on COVID lockdown, you're unable to, like, what were you planning for this yeah. year? This year, I kind of just wanted to do um, Molokai and then I wanted to go back for Jack and Katie's wedding. So just kind of go over and I've never really been in California or Hawaii, not in like a competitive environment. So I kind of want to go back and like just hang out and, you know, not have to be like, oh, I'm racing in two weeks. I can't do that. I'm racing, you know, like. I don't want to be like in a situation where I'm like not doing things because I know that I have to race next week. So right. I don't want to go just go and enjoy the place really. But um, yeah, I still, oh, I said to myself, I'm going to race until I win Molokai and then never race again. So so I guess <laughs> one more time. <laughs> next year. Next year. <laughs> I'm surfing, so. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go there for a sec. Cause one of the other, it, it really cool, interesting aspects of you in the water is like, there's this competitive side and you've had all this great success. And then, but you also like enjoy it just kind of free surfing on the prone board, I guess I'd call it. And it's not surfing like standing up though. I've seen you do that too, but like, you know, on the prone board, your knees, but not just like, Oh yeah, he's riding waves. Like, dude, you surf waves, you know, like again, as we were chatting, you know, you've been here in Santa Cruz uh, you know, you borrowed one of our boards, 10-6 Dolphin board. And it was funny because a couple of days after that, somebody says, hey, you know, who knows that I prone paddle. So it seems like everybody's like something when it's prone paddling, they ask me a question. Like, hey, dude, I saw some guy on a pink board at the lane, like ripping waves. I'm like, yeah, that was lucky. He's like, what? Like, he's like, dude, I've never seen anybody riding a prone board like that. And so you like, did you rip it like prone surfing, man? So where'd that all come from? I know you grew up on it, but still it's a, yeah. it's a big part of your fun in the water today. That was sort of it. Like it just was like, yeah, like a more comfortable thing. Like, you know, I trained on it. So I went and surfed it. That was really it. And, you know, surfing at training still. And that kind of just, as I stopped racing on those boards, I didn't really leave them. Like, I've you know, like I haven't raced on a 10-6 for maybe three years now but I still basically kept surfing it so I don't know I guess it was just like kind of just natural sort of progression for me that just like I never yeah really learned to surf like never took the time to stand up so that was just the board that I had and the board that I sort of felt comfortable on and just kind of surfed it that was it really so but I haven't really surfed it for I think the last time I properly took one out to surf was at Malibu in August last year. So I haven't touched it because I've sort of been surfing other little kneeboards and other things now. So it's kind of, yeah, moving on to something different. Keep it interesting. 
Yeah, I like that, man. Because there is so many different ways to have fun on waves, you know. Now, do you ever like get shit from people? Like when you pull up, like if the lane's a great example, like, you know, we'll, we'll blow through there when we're paddling and ride a bump or something. But, you know, it's, it's kind of where we live. It's fine. But like if you go somewhere new and you're out there actually catching waves and like surfing, I mean, do, do you ever get hard looks or any kind of vibe from people when you're on your you know, like a prone board, but on your knees? I was terrified to go out in the lane. Duke's just like, oh, no, it's fun. <laughs> it's fine. Just go. Just go. Like, it's, it's cool, though, that you get waves. I'm like, I don't know about this. Like, I'm, I'm kind of like, <laughs> kind of freaking out here. Um, so I, I remember, like, look, I'm not going to walk down the rocks. I'm going to paddle out from the beach behind, go super wide, and sit at, like, the back of the lineup. I'm like, I'm not paddling to where want to get out there. But um, I think the only thing that saved me there was like uh, Ben Coffey and like Pat Shaughnessy were out surfing at the time. They oh, yeah. had a chat to me before I caught any waves. And I just sat like three quarters of the way down the lineup and got the big fat wide ones that like the guys on the short board were missing. I was like, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took it out to Malibu and just got like absolutely abused, like super oh. gnarly. That was, like, that was kind of heavy. I was like, okay, look, time to start surfing something different. <laughs> like I've had enough of it. I've, I've just copped it for years. Like, okay, time to move on. <laughs> but your, your yeah. quiver now, it's cool. You just, you have a picture on Instagram I saw and we were chatting a bit ago about you just got another, like a kneeboard. I guess you call it a kneeboard. I'm sure there's a name for it from Tom Wagner, which you ride in your knees, but you got a pretty cool kind of uh, very different quiver you've got like a 12 foot um paddle board a 10 six you got a big wave gun you got long boards so you kind of you like to mix it up it looks like i just uh well this this covid sort of thing um well we just got paid basically full-time employment from the government from in out here in australia so i was like you know I, I finally got the money and you know i just used all my um money that i saved up for molokai and i just said I'm going to buy every single board that I always wanted and then I'm going to have it for five years and not have to buy another single board till then. So I was like, I went out and got like, um, got a Thomas log, like a nine, six from Thomas Bexton here in Noosa and, um, got Tom Wagner to make me like, it's off a, um, a George Greeno template flex spoon. Wow. So that's really fun. But the only thing is it's, um, no resin made out of cork. So it's got like polonia uh, plywood on the bottom, shaped in the middle like a normal surfboard, and then it's wrapped in cork over the top. So that's really cool. And then I got a, another mid-length off one of my mates at um, ECS down in Sydney. So I got a, a mid-length of well, what I use for a short board and a, a long board. So, I mean, pretty much can paddle out in any day of the year comfortably now, and I'm stoked. That's rad, man. Yeah. That's cool. I think that's a good approach, dude. Like saving up your money, buying the quiver you want instead of like a board at a time. Cause you buy one board, you're stoked. Six months later, you're thinking about the next board and you're thinking about how you don't have the money to buy the next board. So you're kind of like chapped for like another six months to get the money to buy the next board. I like your style. Just like, you know what? Get it all now. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. And then worry about sort of upgrading in five, six years yeah. or something. Or I always used to just do like buy something that was sort of what I wanted, but not really. It was like, oh, it's close enough. 
So like, no, this time, like, I'm like sourcing out like the best manufacturers locally. Like, I'm getting exactly what I want. Like, yeah, man, so, that's cool. And I think cool. I got another like a a proper spoon getting made up now, like a see through glass flex spoon for little kneeboard. Yeah, that goes. Yeah, that's killer, man. So of all the uh, gear, one of the things like uh, kind of one of my favorite questions to ask is like over the years, we have all these different pieces of gear, whether it's a board, it's a fin, it's a wetsuit. It's like, who knows what, like, do you have like a, and sometimes we form like kind of sentimental attachments to our gear. Like I got a couple mm-hmm. boards. I just like, I mean, I love my kids, but like I, I put them right next to like how much I love my kids. I mean, I'm kind of exaggerating, but you know what I'm saying? We have this like, heartfelt connection with your gear sometimes do you have a piece of equipment whatever it is could be a t-shirt or something that you just like yeah it's just like means the world to you um i actually bought back my record board for catalina the stock board oh cool so it was owned by surf tech i borrowed it for the day basically i used it for three days gave it back um they sold it off to someone else i found out who bought it and then bought it back off them and brought it to australia so i've still got that and that was like my training board for two years three years so it's like it's beaten up now which kind of sucks but um kind of got thrashed on the plane as well but i've just sort of handed it in to get ding repairs done i said i want it looking brand new and i'm gonna hang it up and never touch it again that's sick yeah i'm kind of looking forward to seeing that done and um i know for catalina when you finish or if you win um you get given a big wave gun and my big wave guns at the moment they're hanging up in the roof of the local brewery and they said oh, they cool. baseboard up beside it so yeah man that's cool kind of cool um yeah looking forward to that Heck yeah so one thing just hit me like you mentioned zeb walsh who does some pretty like out there paddle <laughs> things you know and he's on the podcast he's paddled tasmania and i know the other guys have too but he's a and jack like you, you you run with a group of guys who do some pretty heavy gnarly stuff so have you ever gotten caught up in any of these crazy adventures these guys have been on and or are you planning to <laughs> well we're meant to be doing one right now but covid sort of shut it down oh man what was it um, well, we're going to try and paddle a lap around uh, Fraser Island. Oh, man. I don't know if you know that. It's like a massive sand island and super, super sharky. Right. Part of it's like a sort of a tourist destination, but then the top half is just like untouched, like really cool. Wow. But, um, it would have been pretty similar in length to uh, the Bass Strait paddle that Jack and Zeb did. Yeah. But, um everything just got shut down. Like they closed the island off and or Zeb can't come up here because the borders are closed at the moment. You <laughs> <laughs> can't even get in here to start. <laughs> it gives you more time to train and prepare for something, some one of his heavy gnarly adventures. <laughs> yeah. We've just been training in the pub, really. It's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's hard enough, you know? I mean, that's mm. somebody's got to do it. <laughs> Uh, and so yeah. today, man, so day to day, like you're, you're down the beach, you're lifeguarding and you're also coaching the, uh, the nippers too. Is that right? Yeah. I just got a contract back again. I look after the under eights, under tens at Sunshine Beach. So it's the town directly beside Noosa. 
So yeah, I think once or twice a week now, I just run a little session for yeah, under eights, under ten, boys and girls. We basically go catch waves and build sandcastles. Oh, that's so, rad, man! <laughs> Do you see any like any like little um, any of these kids are like, whoa, that guy or girl, they like paddling. That could be like a little prodigy right there. Any like paddle potential with <laughs> <in> that group? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to tell at that age. Um, a lot of the guys that are sort of good at that age, they sort of end up going and surfing as opposed to paddling, I guess. I mean, like, um, you know, sort of chasing that CT sort of thing. Right. Kind of cool as well, but some of them stay there and paddle. It's, yeah, kind of cool to help them out and coach and see, like, oh, you know, I, I was just like you. I was super goofy. I couldn't sit on my board. Like, it's fine. Like, you want to do it. Like, you can. You just got to spend the time. So. Yeah, it's pretty cool like that. <laughs> yeah, that's rad, man. Yeah, the groms are fun, dude. That's, that's really cool. Uh, well, good, Lockie. So what do you think next year, man? I mean, 2021, let's pretend or hope that, knock on wood, that, you know, we could fly again and get around. So what do you think? Make a stab at M M2O again? I'll definitely beat Molokai. Um, oh. Depending on anything else, I yeah, I have no idea. If ISA is in a cool location, I'll probably go. <laughs> if not, yeah. I won't bother. <laughs> if it's somewhere I haven't been and it's like a good right-hand point break, I'll probably be there. <laughs> if not, um, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> nice. It's good to have options. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully I just want to go back to Cali and kind of surf. You know, just, as I said, go over and actually like enjoy the place and not have to like um, – worry about being somewhere or, you know, like stressing or getting a boat sorted or, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's just crazy. So Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, I know you already have yeah, I know you already have connections in Santa Cruz, Ben, but uh yeah. you got another one. So when you swing through this way, it's getting the water and I get boards and all that kind of stuff. So always welcome. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And one day I'm gonna get to Noosa, man. Like I've talked to a bunch of people uh, on the podcast, you're from there, and everybody's like, "Oh, it's." The, I mean, so I, I'm already, I'm there in my mind. So I'm gonna get out there, and when I yeah. do, I was um, Tony's podcast yesterday. It's pretty cool. Uh, cool man, yeah, he's, he's a legend down here. <laughs> yeah, man, no, there's so much happening. It sounds so killer, but uh, but do no, lucky man. I appreciate you fumbling through and getting through all the technology <laughs> technological difficulties getting set up today, man, and uh, for taking time and and uh talking story with me dude so thank you so all much right. dude thanks for inviting me on yeah all right man well i look forward to when you're out here in santa cruz uh unless i'm in noosa first man <laughs> <laughs> thanks i'll be there yeah. looking forward to it <laughs> all right man okay i'll talk to you soon thanks mate Bye. thanks Hey everybody, thanks for listening to another podcast episode. Can't do it without you. If you like what you heard, would really appreciate you sharing the podcast with people you know who might enjoy the stories that we hear and the guests we have on. And of course, even better, reduce plastic, do something good for the ocean and for each other. Thanks again. We'll catch you on the next episode.